Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's open up to John chapter 17 now, and I will read our, our sermon text. John 17, I'll read verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would illumine our minds, that you would give us understanding, that... Uh, every one of our thoughts and meditations would be pleasing and acceptable in you, your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> so we return to John 17, the prayer that Jesus made, asking his Father to return him to the glory he had with his Father before the world was. So a large part of this prayer is spent praying for his apostles, um, verses 9 through uh, 19, really. And then for all believers, verses 20 through 24. This evening, we again consider the section of Jesus' prayer when he is praying for those 12 men minus one, the apostles. So remember that this prayer was made during the last few days before Jesus was led to Golgotha and his crucifixion. So history, history has not had a more passionate, more difficult uh, week than this one that Jesus is going through. The full weight of every one of the sins of his people are about to be placed upon his shoulders. And the full weight is going to require the full weight of the wrath of his father. And Jesus would be cursed... Uh, For us, that we might know the blessings of his father. He was just hours away from that. Hours away from that work. And so you kind of feel in this prayer that he's he's reminding himself of what he had and, and 
He's reminding himself of the glory of his father before he, he hangs from the tree, cursed and um, separated from the father. And so he's just hours away from being arrested and having the soldiers mock him and spit in his face and hit him in the face. He would go through the mock of, uh, mockery of a trial. He would go then through the crucifixion. And that is just ahead. So knowing that he is going away from his apostles, he's not going to be staying with them, he's not going to be hanging around, he prays for them. In verse 11, we read, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. So he's concerned about his apostles and their remaining in the world and the work they have to do. So Jesus, like a good father, is simply concerned for his children. He's concerned for his children, and he's praying in these last hours for them. He's going away, and who's going to keep them from danger? Who's going to guide them? Who's, who will guard them as they go along this path? He asks his father to keep them, to guard them. Jesus knows their weakness. He knows their lack of understanding. Um, I mean, think of any, think of any situation where... Uh, where you're apprenticing with the, the, the best of something in the world, right? Um, well, think of, think of the apostles' wisdom compared to the wisdom of Jesus. It's way more than even that, right? The distance between the wisdom of Jesus, who is the very word of God, and the apostles is significant, but the apostles will have, abiding within them, the Holy Spirit who will guide them into all truth. So he asks the Father to keep them, to guard them. He knows their weakness. He knows their lack of understanding. He knows all their temptations. He knows, um, he knows their sins. He knows their littleness of faith that he's witnessed all along the way. And knowing all of that, he does what he should do, which is pray for them. He prays for them. He prays that the Father might keep them. Keep them. Jesus is going away, and the work has to carry on, right? Jesus is leaving, but the work carries on. When Jesus prays, keep them, it is implied that there are dangers from within and dangers from without, dangers from an evil heart of unbelief in each of these men and dangers from an evil world and from the wicked one who goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour And so these 11 men Jesus has called to go out into the world as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's a dangerous work. It's work where they will uh, be torn at, right? And um, and so they they are to go and spread the message of salvation in Jesus Christ in a dying world, but also in a hostile world world that would reject them as it rejected Jesus. And Jesus knows that unless the Father keeps them, then their labor will be in vain. It will be for naught. Think for a moment about the fruit that has been born from this prayer of Jesus. The Father, we know, kept the apostles, and the gospel went out to the ends of the earth, and is still bearing fruit even today, thousands of years later. Right. So this prayer of Jesus is being fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled through all the ages of the church until Jesus returns and makes an end of the nations with the rod of iron from his mouth, the sword 
that comes from his mouth. And so the church is still at work. The church is still building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles, but the church is, through the apostles, fulfilling this prayer of Jesus, even still. That's today what's happening here is as a result of Jesus' prayer. Now, there's one element of Jesus' prayer that I want to focus on this evening. In verse 6, Jesus says that the apostles have kept your word. Uh, The apostles have kept the Father's word. Now, verse 6 is pretty packed. It tells us what Jesus did, what the Father did, and what the apostles did. Jesus manifested the Father's name to the apostles. The Father gave these men to Jesus, and the apostles kept then the Father's word. Ryle, on this passage, says here, Our Lord continues the description of his disciples and names things about them which may be seen by men as well as God. He says they have kept or observed or attended to the word of the gospel, which you did send by me. While others would not attend to or keep that word, these 11 men had hearing ears and attentive hearts and diligently obeyed his message. Not without flaw, but they followed, right? They yielded to Jesus and obeyed his message. And then Ryle throws in this short reflection. He says, Practical obedience is the first great test of genuine discipleship. Practical obedience is the first great great test of genuine discipleship. Right? And so, um, living, living what Jesus says is more important than following Jesus around in proximity to him. Right? They, they obeyed his words, and that's why in this he draws out that fact that they have kept his word. Our response to God's word is the great test of whether or not we are worshipers of Jesus. Our response to his word. Right? The apostles, Jesus said, have kept the word. Now, remember, they have resonating through their brains what Jesus had just preached to them. Remember chapters 13 through 16 in John Um, It's one big sermon before this prayer, and it's filled with with helps and warnings and and promises and and encouragements all throughout there. And uh, so so remember that has just preceded this, and is they've they've just heard him say, "If you love me," in part of that uh, sermon, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Right? They've heard him say that, and now he's saying what he said here. Who are those who love Jesus? Who are those who are disciples? Those who keep the word? Those who obey Jesus' commandments? Very simple. right? Who are those who are saved? Who are those who are regenerated? Who are those who are pulled out of darkness and into light? Who are those who, who fear God? Who are those who, who worship Jesus? It's those who obey God's word. It's those who obey Jesus' commandments. Now, let's take a step back. Notice in our passage that the word is mentioned a few other times. There is something of a progression here which seems uh, to describe the spectacular statement in verse 6 that the apostles have kept the word. Verse 7 and the first part of verse 8, the father gave his words to Jesus, nor not... um, Wait, 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 wait. 
Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. And then um, <clears throat> then uh, verse 8 again, these words were received by the apostles and they received them. Verse 8 again, these words were not only received, but understood. From those words, they understood who Jesus was. Jesus says, by means of the word, uh, to the apostles, truly understood that I came forth from you. And then verse 8 concludes, and they believed that you sent me. So the word goes from the Father to the Son to his apostles who receive it, understand, believe, and keep those words. Right? The word goes from the Father to the Son. The Son delivers the fa- words of the Father to the apostles. They receive it, they understand it, they believe it, and they keep it. Receive Understand, believe, and keep. And all those teachings from Jesus, those glories from the very mouth of God. So basically what we see in this passage is how the apostles relate to God's word. The apostles were given the word of God. The apostles received the word of God. They understood the word of God. They believed the word of God. The apostles kept the word of God. And so... Going through this a little bit. The apostles were given the word of God by Jesus. That word is required. It is the only thing powerful enough to bring life to a dead heart. Right? For the word of for the word of the God, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No other words, certainly the words of man, can do that. Luther said, a man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes. But the word of God is greater than heaven and earth, yea, greater than death and hell, for it forms part of the power of God and endures everlastingly. So the Apostle Peter put it this way, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The Apostles, therefore, were given the word of God. The Apostles received the word of God. Remember the passage I referenced um, before, uh, I think last, um, last week, John six sixty six. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Right? Notice that he says words there. He doesn't just say you have eternal life. He says you have words of eternal life. Um, they are hanging on this deposit that the Father is giving to the Son and the Son is giving to them, the words of eternal life. They knew what Jesus had and they received those words. Remember what the scriptures say about the Thessalonian Christians. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as, what does it say? You you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe, right? So the the word came through, in that instance, the word is deposited, given from the Father to the Son. The Son 
deposits it to the apostles. The apostles go preach around the world, and uh, Paul preaches to the Thessalonians, and they receive that word of God, not as the words of men, but as the word of the Lord. And then this passage in John 17 says the, uh, teaches us that the apostles understood the word of God. The apostles were given an understanding of this word through the work of God's spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, Combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words, right? So these apostles understand as a result of the work of the Spirit. In fact, that's the only way that anybody could ever understand the Word of God. We could understand it as a normal document. We could understand it as poetry. We could understand it and analyze it as, as um, you know, ancient text. We could, uh, we could do... Textual comparisons, we could do, uh, we could um, diagram the sentences from the Bible, we could, uh, we could memorize it, we could understand it uh, that way and still not understand it, right? We could know it deeply as a scholar and still not understand it if the Spirit is not giving us an illumination. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Right? So the things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to those who do not have the Spirit. He cannot understand them. The, the Word of God is spiritually appraised. Next, the apostles believed the word of God. In other words, the truth of God's word moved from their heads to their hearts. Right? They did not simply understand God's word intellectually, but they believed the word of God. They took the word as God's truth. They didn't make, uh, you know, they didn't make diagrams of Jesus' sentences. They made songs of Jesus' sentences, right? So that they would... Uh, so that they could meditate, so that they could uh, chew on the loveliness of Jesus' words. And the result of that, being given the word, receiving the word, understanding the word, believing the word, was keeping the word. I mean, all of that must proceed before the keeping of, of the word, which, you know, it leads me back to that statement of Ryle's. Practical obedience is the first great test of genuine discipleship. Do you want to know if you follow Jesus? Do you obey what he tells you to do? It's pretty simple, isn't it? Do you obey what Jesus tells you to do? In other words, the true follower of Christ is the one who gets all the way to that last stage, not stopping and hanging out before that. The true follower of Christ understands exactly what Jesus says when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The true disciple understands that his love toward Jesus is to be worked out in his obedience. Do you want to know how you express your love to God? You obey him, right? You don't buy him a birthday cake. You don't give him some money. 
You don't buy a Hallmark card. You obey him. In fact, I think parents know this intrinsically, right? What, how do we know when our children love us? Oh, not, I mean, they say it a lot, right? We train them to say it a lot, but they can just say it, right? But we know our children love us when they obey us, right? And when they do it without being provoked, and when they do it on their own, right? And when they do it because they want to please their parents, then you know that they love you, right? And so we know this through experience, but here it is in the Word of God. Loving Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not stop at points previous to obedience, right? You can't just have an understanding of God's Word that doesn't lead to action and call yourself a lover of Jesus. A lover of Jesus obeys. Imagine if someone thought loving Jesus was just um, being given Jesus' words. It would be the fairly common thought that having a Bible at home or attending a sermon from time to time is what makes you a Christian, a disciple of Christ. And a lot of people believe that. They think that because they have the Word at home, collecting dust on a shelf, that they are loving God. Or that's proof of their love of God. Very simply, just, I've got a Bible near to me. I must have some sort of faith, right? And Jesus obliterates that. If the apostles had just received God's word and then ignored it or abandoned it and not obeyed it, then their lack of faith would have been proven. Imagine if someone thought loving Jesus was just receiving Jesus' words. That's a little bit more than being given something. You, you now receive it. You don't just have a Bible at home, but from time to time, you read it. And, and not only do you go to church from time to time, but you go all the time, right? And that, is what, and that is what some would claim makes them a Christian, a disciple of Christ. Imagine if someone thought loving Jesus was only by being given and receiving Jesus' words, but also some was, was not only that, but was also some level of understanding of the scriptures. You don't just have a Bible at home and read it from time to time, but you study it. You really dig into it. And, um, and you can talk about what Scripture says about prophecy. And what Scripture says about tongues. And what Scripture says about sex. And husbands and wives. And worship and sacrifices. And that understanding of what is, is what you think makes you a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Imagine if someone thought loving Jesus was not only uh, being given and receiving and understanding Jesus' words, but also believing those scriptures. You don't just have a Bible at home, but you read from it from time to time, and you understand much of it, and even say you believe it. You believe what it says about Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that heaven and hell are real places. Is that the Christian is that the disciples, the disciple of Christ's relationship to the Word? If that, in a sense, is that enough to prove something about ourselves? Well, no, it's not. In John 8, Jesus is speaking with a crowd of Jewish men and women, and the Pharisees have been testing Jesus, and Jesus has been passing all the tests. Then we read this. 
So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that, the, that are pleasing to Him. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you continue in my word... Then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Right? That statement, if you continue in my word, means that a relationship with the word is not simply one where we at one point in time came to believe some eternal truths about God, but it's, it is one that is a living relationship, an ongoing, breathing, fruit-making discipleship, Right? It's not just something that, that you can um, dip into at points, right? And then leave off at other points. We must believe and continue in the word of God. The disciple of Christ, as were these 11 apostles, are those who keep the word. Who keep the word. Not just study it. Not just receive it. Not just... just um, memorize it, not just be able to recite it, not just any of that other than as a means to what is proper, which is obedience to the word of God. They don't just use their ears and eyes and minds and even hearts in knowing God's word, but it even affects their will, right? It gets down to the will. They desire to obey God's word. Does your relationship to God's word stop before that last stage? Are you a good studier of God's word, but then you leave it off, right? And don't attempt to put into practice by the power of the spirit what God has convinced you of. Does it stop before obedience? Perhaps you're content with only having access to God's word. You think having access is what makes you a Christian. Having access, being close to the word of God is what makes you... Um, what, what convinces you are a Christian. Perhaps you are content with only hearing or reading God's word. Perhaps you are content with an intellectual understanding of God's word or just content with your belief in God's word. Right? I believe it's... I believe... I believe this is 100% God's word. Right? We can say that as an intellectual statement. I believe this is 100% God's word. And then never, ever attempt at that point to then obey it and live it, right? Have you known Christians like that? Have you known yourself when you were like that? I believe everything that's here. You would have told everybody, this is the word of God. But you had no intent of ever obeying. The deep joy of the true disciple of Christ is more than simply a belief in the Word of God. It's all those things. It's receiving it. It's hearing it. It's, it's, um, it's understanding it. It's believing it. Um, but it, it is, it, we must be given, you know, we must have all that. But the true disciple of Christ understands that what pleases God is that we do what He commands. Just as the, fa- the Son did what the, son, what the Father commanded. In, is that why you read the Word of God? Is that why you read the Word of God? So you might find out what pleases God. 
uh, so that you might find out how to walk in a manner worthy of your, of your Savior, a way that glorifies His Son, so that you might love, so that you might know how to love God through your obedience, that you might come... To, that's, why, that's why when you read, when you read Scripture... It, it, it should be painful to a certain extent because it's constantly pointing out to us, yes, our failures to obey. But on the other hand, if, if you come to Scripture every morning thinking you need a, a spiritual infusion of, of, you know, like spiritual caffeine, it's, it's not going to do that. Right? It's not going to do that. It's just going to convict you again. <laughs> Every time you come to the Word of God, it convicts. And that leads to two things. That leads to praise God that He's gracious and He has chosen me. I can't understand why He would love such a sinner as I, but He has. And then two, it's I need to get my act together. Because the way I express my love and my thanksgiving to God for my salvation is by obedience. It's not even by going to Him in prayer and saying, God, I love you. It's by obeying what He says, right? My kids can get in trouble and if they come to me and try to manipulate me with I love you's, I know they're not loving me, right? Oh, I love you, Papa. Da, 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 da. No, just obey me and I'll know you love me. Right? We know that experience. Right? And, and I think it's similar, it, it's similar with our Father in heaven because Jesus has done the work and God the Father loves his Son. And the Son has given us words to obey. And so the Father is looking on and he's saying, how, do I, how will I know that they love me if they obey what my Son told them to do? If they learn his words and live them. Is that the way you read your Bible? Um, so you might find out what pleases God so that you might find out that way of walking in a manner worthy of your Savior. It's not, it's, not to, it's not to try to gain favor with God. It's not to try to build merit. It's not to try to add something to your salvation. It's not any of those things. It's just loving God by obeying Or do you think that just being around the Word is what marks a disciple of Christ? Salvation through um, osmosis. Do you think that having an encyclopedic knowledge of Greek and Hebrew is what makes a disciple of Christ? Do you think in affirm, that affirming that Scripture, what Scripture says is what marks a disciple of Christ? No, what marks the disciple of Christ, the follower of Christ, the lover of God is keeping the word, keeping the word. One verse from John's other writings, the one who says, I have come to know him. I've come to know him, right? That boastful state, I've come to know God. I mean, we, we have to read scripture the right way, first of all, to get, to get a good understanding of it. But the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. 
Right? By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. Speaking of Jesus. So, if nothing else has convinced you that I'm right, that should. Right? That's the Word of God. Right? The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word in Him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that as we come to Your Word, as we read Your Word, as we receive it, as we seek to understand it, as we study it, Father, that all of that would be so that we might practice our love towards You through obedience. Oh God, forgive us for how many times we have just gone to your word so that we can impress other people with our knowledge of it, rather than to find out how we may truly love you. God, I pray that you would help us to renew our, renew our reading of your word, that we would come to it with humility, that we would come to it willing to be wrecked by it and be rebuilt by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would desire to know what pleases you, to know your will, and to walk in that manner. Give us power by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.